everybody. Welcome to Creepy Club. I'm Rissa. I'm Heidi. And this is the podcast where we talk about everything creepy and crimey. Indeed. How's it going over there, uh, 50 feet away from me? Um, well, I would say approximately the same as the previous eight weeks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Real big mood there, yeah. Yeah, the one thing I did notice, I had to go to a store today, and I was appalled at the number of people just casually meandering around with no yeah, mask and Kevin went clothes. to Schnucks, and he said it was packed. I was like, oh Yeah, people are really, I'm like, I'm just, I'll be over here behind glass waiting for the second spike. Yep. So... We got some really nice feedback on our last episode, so um, thank you for that. Mal on Twitter said um, yes. that they appreciate the um, trigger warnings in our show notes and in our podcast before the podcast starts. So um, we yes. try our best. Thank you so much. We do. And we got, I got a text from Jupiter's, um, Jupiter's parent Servant. <laughs> well i was gonna say parent but you know how that is with animals yeah. really you're just there to do their bidding anyway al was also also had lots of praise and said that they really appreciated the way that we addressed it which and so thank you for that which brings me to my next thought is that we did not appropriately acknowledge that um men and boys obviously can be victims of sexual violence or domestic abuse as well. That was um, not intentionally, no one was intentionally excluded. And we can't uh, be a hundred percent perfect all the time. That's true. I mean, it's like a 99.9 already. So we're, we're doing pretty good, but no, seriously though, Obviously, it is not um, gender limited, and certainly there's plenty of research to show that if you are non-binary or trans, that you're even higher risk. Uh, so I just want to make sure that anyone who might be listening who falls into one of those categories or identifies in that way didn't feel excluded and we see you and we believe you too um i also wanted to thank esme's mom because don gave me some nice sent me some nice comments so thank you for that oh she's the best are you ready to get into our topic i am i'm ready to rumble awesome so i am continuing my journey through the winchester mystery house um Ooh, okay and and it's gonna be there's gonna be a part three at least one more part to this because it's like i said last time there was a small you know wormhole that i opened right at the end of my research um and it turned out to be much larger than i expected so we're gonna do part two and three at least Maybe even more. I'm excited. This is a very <laughs> intriguing story. Yeah. So 
where we left off last time, we talked about the Winchester Mystery Man or Mystery House, um, and the general belief is there. The most popular belief is that Sarah Winchester was, you know, kind of driven a little crazy by by mourning her dead husband and firstborn or only child, I guess. And um, she became a recluse and started building this crazy house with lots of weird um, uh, amenities, I guess. And um, and people think that the house is haunted and that she was haunted by these spirits of people that had died by the by the um, Winchester Repeating Arms Company, you know, like the their rifles. Um, and that the, the spirits were what was driving her to build this crazy house. Well, there is another theory put forth by this guy named Richard Allen Wagner. And he thinks that she, you know, even though she's kind of an eccentric recluse, he thinks that she was not spiritual at all. Didn't believe in spirits. Um... And that she was a follower of this guy, Francis Bacon. Um, and that's why, and she filled her house full of symbolism towards his work. Um, and that's why the house is so weird. So who is Francis Bacon? Um, he, I'm going to read straight from Wikipedia. Um, he's an English philosopher who lived from 1561 to 1626. Uh, he, Bacon has been called the father of empiricism. He, his works argued for the possibility of scientific knowledge based only upon inductive reasoning and careful observation of events in nature. Mostly, he argued, science could be achieved by use of, by use of a skeptical and methodical approach whereby scientists aim to avoid misleading themselves. Although his practical ideas about such a method, the Baconian method, did not have a long-lasting influence, the general idea of the importance and possibility of a skeptical methodology makes Bacon the father of the scientific method. This method has was a new rhetorical and theoretical framework for science, the practical details of which are still central in debates about science and methodology. Didn't he eventually become Sir Francis Bacon? Yes. Um, okay. He was, yeah, he was knighted. Uh, yeah, so, like, I think that's super interesting. That's, like, totally opposite of um, what the people that own Winchester Mystery House are touting. He He's more of, like, a skeptical scientific dude, um, and he... Uh, he was He's a rationalist, right? right? He was really, really important to the golden age um, and the Renaissance, where we all got smarter. <laughs> so, um, I think it's interesting. I can't remember if I learned about him in philosophy or psychology, but I remember learning about him somewhere along the way. Right, probably all of the above. Um, he's also people also think that he might be Shakespeare. That he was the actual author of Shakespeare's works. That's an interesting plot twist. Yeah. Um, particularly interesting to me since I am in the theater world and Shakespeare is a god. 
Obviously. Um, but yeah, so who is Richard Allen Wagner? This is the guy that wrote this article that I'm getting, or he wrote a lot of different articles that I'm getting information from. So Richard Allen Wagner is a teacher and an author and a lecturer. He wrote two sci-fi novels um, and one book called The Lost Secret of William Shakespeare. And that is um, available for free (laughs) as a download, as a PDF online. So uh, if you want to check it out, you can go to our show notes. Also, I think you should open, Heidi, you should open the show notes because there's some, there's some visual aids if you want. You can see Sir Francis Bacon and listeners also if you want to uh, check that out. Go to uh, creepyclubpodcast.com and look for the meeting minutes for this episode. Um... So, The Lost Secret of William Shakespeare, I think that it's probably, I didn't really look into it because it's like a 300-page book, um, but I think it's probably um, going to elaborate a lot more on the stuff that I'm going to talk about today and then on the next, on my next episode. Um, But here's the blurb for the book, which I think is kind of funny. It might tell you a little bit about who Richard Richard Allen Wagner is. Says the writing of the writing of this book started in 1999 when I was beginning my research on the late heiress Sarah Winchester. At that time, I had no idea where the research would lead. I had no preconceived notions about Mrs. Winchester, nor did I have the slightest idea that she would lead me on an extraordinary journey of discovery that has transformed my life. Originally, this was going to be a book about Mrs. Winchester and the remarkable mansion she had built in what is now San Jose, California, known as the Winchester Mystery House, California Landmark number 868. As my research progressed, I clearly saw that the house was ingeniously built to serve as a multifaceted puzzle. Mrs. Winchester had cleverly written a concealed story into the very fabric of the house's architecture, everywhere in and about the house. She left a brilliantly crafted trail of distinct clues, clues for the initiate, the pure, unbiased seeker of truth. My journey of initiation started with baby steps, here and there, sudden flashes of insight, stunning bursts of epiphany, eureka moments of discovery that gradually became more frequent and revealing, just as Sarah Winchester had planned. Gradually, over the years, the story began to unfold. So... I wasn't about to Very go. dramatic. <laughs> I wasn't about to go read the book, but I thought that that was a uh, intriguing blurb about it. Very. So he he's also written tons of articles, um, and they're all on his website. There's one called "The Truth About the Freemasons," and the the when you click on it, it says. In capital letters, if you're not a Mason, I guarantee you cannot possibly understand what it's all about. You have to be one in order to get the complete picture. (laughs) Oh, my God. But, I mean, it seems to be more of a history of the Freemasons than any kind of tell-all. It's like a kind of... he, He says, like, stuff like, oh, even... Even established Freemasons don't know this stuff that I'm about to tell you, so... It might be interesting to people out there. I don't know. He's got all the secrets. Yeah. Um, he wrote another one called Breaking the Masonic Code of Shakespeare's Sonnets. 
the and um two two are two more articles that i got my information from called the truth about the winchester house and the truth about sarah winchester um he's got degrees in philosophy and world history and he's also himself a 32nd degree scottish rite freemason um, and we know, as we know, the Freemasons are a fraternal organization with their origins in stone mason unions. I think we have talked about them before. Um, yeah, they go back to the time of Christ, right? Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> Assuming you believe that's all accurate. Right. Um, there's two types of masonry. There's regular Freemasonry, um, and this is from Wikipedia, uh, it for regular Freemasonry insists that a volume of scripture be open in a working lodge, that every member profess belief in a supreme being, that no woman, women be admitted, although in some jurisdictions those who transition to women after being initiated may stay. I think that's interesting. And that the discussion of religion and politics be banned. I forget what they call the lady version of the masons they have a secret handshake and everything too hmm. um i keep thinking like the daughters of the revolution but that's not quite right right i know that's a no it'll come to me yeah um so that's interesting that it's like in some jurisdictions those who transition to women after being initiated can stay that's pretty inclusive um surprisingly so right and then it so in the, it talks about like every member needs to per- profess belief in a supreme being but then religion and politics are supposed to be banned i don't okay yeah all right uh and then continental freemasonry is now the general term for the jurisdictions which have removed some or all of these restrictions so it sounds like they're more easy breezy freemasonry if you will um, okay. And so I was curious what 32nd degree Scottish Rite meant. Um, the Scottish Rite seems to be a branch of the Freemasons. Um, there's a big old building downtown in St. Louis called the Scottish Rite. And uh, I used to do dance competitions there. <laughs> yep. Scottish Rite Cathedral. Yeah. I've been in there. It's a nice one. Um, one time when I was there for a dance competition, my friend and I got bored. And so we... Um, we went exploring <laughs> and mm-hmm. so and it's a it's an extremely tall old building and uh we just started going started we picked a staircase and started going up and we found a room that had lockers and like some it, it looked like nobody had touched it in years it was like all dusty but there was still stuff inside the lockers um, and there were all these like weird paintings and stuff, I remember. And then we got caught, and so I didn't see anything really cool. But after nuts. <laughs> after we got caught, there was all these like they they finally like roped off all this stuff <laughs> in the years following. So. Well, it's getting kind of dingy in there. Yeah, I haven't. I mean, I haven't been there since um, probably two thousand four. I don't know. It's been a long time. They did a rock and roll craft show there. Oh, did they? Mm-hmm. That's pretty wild. Was it in the basement? Yeah. I remember there was like a cafeteria in the basement that was kind of awful. 
Um, yeah, it was pretty ditchy. Yeah. So anyway, so Scottish Rite is a branch of the Freemasons. Um, the 32nd degree, it just seems to be like a title that you get when you complete certain degrees of Freemasonry. Um, I looked up, uh, I think it was on the 32nd degree website or something like that. It was like, uh, 32nd Scottish Rite Masonry expands upon the fundamental principles of Freemasonry, exploring Masonic teachings more deeply. Building upon the ethical and philosophical teachings of the Blue Lodge, 32 degree, 32nd degree Scottish Rite Freemasonry reveals a wealth of knowledge about masonry not found in the other degrees. It seeks to enrich the philosophy of the symbolic lodge in order to help good men become even better. <laughs> um, um, okay. Yep. Yeah. There's also uh, Eastern Stars is the lady version. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. My head. There's also Black Masons, and I only hmm. know about it because that's where I play bingo. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, the website goes on to say, a member of the 32nd Scottish Rite Freemasonry seeks to aid mankind's research, or sorry, aid mankind's search for identity and destiny in God's universe, produce wiser men in a wiser world, happier men in a happier world. And therefore, better men in a better world. Promote the dignity of every person and the humanity in all activities. Our core values are reverence for God, devotion to country, integrity, justice, toleration, and service. <laughs> so, it's your standard Elks Lodge kind of setup. Yeah, I just think the, the wording is so funny. Um, It's very, yeah... Yeah, it's and extra. I also found a website that was like, it literally t- was titled, So you're a 32nd degree Mason? Now what? <laughs> and it was just like, <laughs> now you gotta buy all this stuff to learn all this, all these things. So, yeah. Um, or you're not legit. Richard Allen Wagner is also a freighter of the AMORC Rosicrucian Order. So the AMORC is ancient and mythical, or sorry, ancient and mystical order of the Rose Crucis. I think I'm saying that right. Um, it's the largest Rosicrucian organization in the world. Uh, the Ro- Rosa, the Rosicrucian. This is this is all very hard to say. It's tongue twistery. Rosicrucianism. Uh, is a spiritual and cultural movement that arose um, around the early early 17th century in Europe. Um, the Wikipedia says, The mysterious doctrine of the order is built on esoteric truths of the ancient past, which concealed from the average man provide insight into nature, the physical universe, and the spiritual realm. The manifestos do not elaborate extensively on the matter, but clearly combine references to Kabbalah, Hermeticism, alchemy, and Christian mysticism. According to Hmm. the historian David Stevenson, it was influential on Freemasonry as it was emerging in Scotland. So, seems like another sort of, you know, secret society built on sort of a mix of religion and science i guess i would say 
Yeah, it's kind of like the Odd Fellows or any of those groups. Yeah. Um, today, the AMORC is regarded as representing an open cycle of the ancient Rosicrucian tradition. Its existence being a reactivation of Rosicrucian teaching in the United States, with previous Rosicrucian colonies in the United States having become dormant. The AMORC presents itself as a worldwide philosophical and humanistic, non-sectarian, and apolitical fraternal order devoted to the study of the elusive mysteries of life in the universe. It is also open to both men and women of legal age, 18 years old in most countries, regardless of their various religious persuasions. The AMORC's teachings cover might what might the what may be termed the sacred sciences and include ideas based on the major philosophers, including or particularly Pythagoras, Thale, Thales, sorry for um, mispronouncing things, uh, Solon, Her 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 Heraclitus Democritus I don't know these sorry I don't know my philosophy I never took philosophy I was gonna say philosopher one through five yeah the teachings are divided into degrees which are further grouped into broad categories under titles such as postulant neophyte initiate sections these degrees cover various fields related to physical, mental, psychic, and spiritual existence, such as physics, metaphysics, biology, psychology, parapsychology, comparative religion, traditional healing techniques, health, intuition, extrasensory perception, material and spiritual alchemy, meditation, sacred architecture, symbolism, and the mystical state of consciousness relating to the experience of unity with the divine. I'm kind of into that. I mean, it sounds pretty cool. <laughs> I was going to say, it's like a really complicated version of the Ethical Society. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a freighter is a title that the AMORC awards. Um, and it's the 10th degree of the order. Um, these members are considered to have attained a master level of understanding of the society's teachings. Um, so this guy that Richard Allen Wagner is a freighter, so he is a master of the Rosicrucians. Well, not of them, but, you know. And this is who she was supposedly No. This is, so Richard Allen Wagner is the guy that wrote these articles that I'm, like, citing in my research. Oh, okay. So he's the one that figured out all this stuff, I guess. If you, if you subscribe to his belief um and i think he was also maybe a follower of sir francis bacon he seems to know a lot about him <laughs> um all right yeah and so i just want to go through that stuff because sarah winchester was also a freemason and a rosicrucian apparently um interesting Oh, and you can go, you can join the Rosicrucians if you want. There's an application on their website, and I've, of course, linked to it in the meeting minutes. Um, It says, as a Rosicrucian member, you will receive many benefits that will all contribute to your physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual development, including a spiritual family that has members from many different wisdom traditions, including Hinduism, Buddhism, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, who work together harmoniously to bring light into the world through the recognition that divinity 
resides within each one of us and that our work is actively to actively seek to express that divinity in everything we do <laughs> that sounds cool i'm like maybe i want to join the rosicrucians yeah i well further research always but yeah at first first pass it sounds pretty nice mm-hmm. i mean it sounds a lot like um i went to some services or they call them forums at the ethical society and they're humanist and you can belong to another religion if you want to i mean i think they're like technically classified as a religion but really they're just humanist and they talk about all kinds of different topics from environmentalism to like taking a um one of those what do they call it it's like a vacation where you do charity work there's a special word for it anyway um they talk about all kinds of topical issues and then the children's like school or whatever um goes over all the major religions it goes through all of them it doesn't teach them to mm-hmm. it just gives them an overview of world religion doesn't say you're supposed to believe anything in particular which i think is interesting yeah yeah i mean i don't know i thought it was an interesting group of people when i went most of the folks who were there were much older um but they have some it sounds kind of similar well if you guys want to join the rosicrucians um check check them out uh you can go to creepyclubpodcast.com look for the meeting minutes for this episode (laughs) there's a link to their website or you can just really google it and it's like probably the first thing that comes up um and they have a cool kind of harry potter logo yeah also if you look up richard allen wagner's website it's very reminiscent of like early websites like i think he needs to invest a little bit into a web designer Mm -hmm. um sorry sorry for the shade richard allen wagner if you're listening um wow i appreciate your uh writing and articles and stuff for this episode um so let's get into the article about the truth about sarah winchester um and this kind of goes into her backstory and her interest in the Freemasons and all that stuff. So, um, apparently Shakespeare, I was going to say Shakespeare. Nope. Sarah was a child prodigy. Um, at age 12, she was fluent in Latin, French, Spanish, and Italian. Uh, she was noted to be knowledgeable about, um, Homer and Shakespeare and other classics, uh, and was a talented musician. Wow. Smart chick. Right. Uh, She grew up in New Haven, uh, and that's where Yale University is. And from its inception, this is um, straight from the article, from its inception, Yale and New Haven was a hub of progressive Freemasonic Rosicrucian thinking and activity. As a result, Sarah was raised and educated in an environment ripe with Freemasonic and rosicrucian philosophy um and at an early age she was admitted into the young ladies collegiate institute which was a school that yale opened for women uh they were taught liberal arts science and mathematics 
So it's pretty cool. This is like yeah. back in the 1800s, so pretty sweet. Um, I, yep. was, I think it's late 1800s, but anyway. Uh, she went to school with Susan and Rebecca Bacon, who were nieces of Delia Bacon, and none of them are related to Sir Francis Bacon. But uh, Delia Bacon, with a group of experts of literature, developed the theory that Sir Francis Bacon was the actual author of Shakespeare's works. Um, and this late this theory was later supported by Ralph Waldo Emerson and Mark Twain. That's interesting. Um, it sounds like there's a ghost rattling chains in the background. <laughs> That's Paco. He's playing with his. He's got bells on in his um, cage, and he's like probably directly above me. I think he is. I was like. Oh, it's a Christmas story. Um, mm -hmm. Ebenezer's rattling his chains. Yeah, well, okay. this is just extra spooky atmosphere. And then every once in a while you'll hear screaming. And that's just Paco. He's a creepy dude. Or um, the <laughs> person trapped in the laundry closet. But whatever. Mm -hmm. <laughs> no, uh, no, no, not at all. Uh, anyway, um, Sarah was a follower of Sir Francis Bacon for the rest of her life after... After being immersed in it in New Haven. Um, and she seemed to be influenced by the Baconian and Masonic preoccupation with secret encryption techniques using numbered cipher systems. Um, it, appear it appears in her life's work, which is the Winchester Mystery House. And we'll get into all of that in the next part. But I love a good cipher. Yeah, it's kind of fun, actually. Like, I was like, okay, this is weird. But then it turns out kind of fun. Um, so Sarah also gravitated towards theosophy. Um, and quote, this is a quote from the article. Sarah adhered to both Bacon's Kabbalistic theosophy and the theosophical perspective held by Rudolf Steiner. Steiner viewed the universe as a vast living organism in which all things are likened to individually evolving units or cells that comprise a greater universal synergistic body that is ever building. As we shall further see, the ever building theme was at the core of Sarah's methodology. Oh, yeah. Hence the never ending building. Yeah. This whole article for me is like a. <laughs> an acting like uh, vocal exercise like, all these words are really hard to say um, so I apologize for stuttering and tumbling over my sentences um, after her husband and daughter died Sarah reportedly went on a tour of Europe um, apparently there's no official records of where she went but Wagner throws out a couple theories um the Freemasons originally wouldn't allow women in, but there are accounts of some particularly headstrong women working their way in. Around the time that Sarah visited Europe, a movement called Co-Freemasonry, which allowed female and male membership, were, was already underway in France. Um, and since Sarah had a privileged social status and a predilection towards the tenets of Freemasonry, she could have easily been admitted at that time um a lot of her um relatives were freemasons by the way 
Um, okay. Yeah, and she was apparently, you know, like, I'm sure she had, she had a high social standing, you know, after she married William Wirt Winchester, but I think she had already had a pretty high standing anyway. Um, another possible, this is a quote from the article, another possible scenario involving Mrs. Winchester's activities while abroad could have been, um, could have well included visit, sorry, could have well included visits to esoteric architectural landmarks such as the French Cathedral of Chartres. Sarah's Masonic Rosicrucian interests and labyrinths would have drawn her to the Chartres with its 11 circuit labyrinth. Wait. Oh, it's called a, it's called the 11th, the, the 11 circuit labyrinth, a puzzle like feature that stresses the discipline of the initiatic tradition of the ancient mystery schools. Likewise, she would have also found inspiration in the Freemasonic symbology and mysterious structure, including a staircase that leads nowhere of Roslyn, the Roslyn Chapel in Scotland. So that's interesting. Maybe she got some inspiration from that chapel for the staircase that leads nowhere. And the Chartres, which is a labyrinth. I meant to look up the Chartres, which I'm going to do right now. Um, well, side note, while you were doing while you're doing that, I looked up uh, women and the Freemasons. And so the Eastern Stars are one of the offshoots. But the two big ones are the International Order of Job's Daughters. Job, like the Bible, founded mm-hmm. in 1920. And the International Order of Rainbow for Girls, founded in 1922. Hmm, that so sounds there fun. Are, yeah, there's a bunch of other ones like Daughters of the Nile, Daughters of Mokana, the Social Order of Beausant. Um, But they don't, it still doesn't look like a long, it says Masonic Lodges maintained today a long-standing tradition of restricting membership in Freemasonry to men. So still. Yeah. Um, apparently some headstrong women did get in, but I don't know. Oh, so this, this oh. labyrinth. Okay, go ahead. Oh, so Eastern Stars, which is the largest group, was 1855. Order of the Amaranth, 1873. White Shrine of Jerusalem, 1894. And so, but the thing that's weird is that men and women can belong to those. Like, well, then what's the point? Mm-hmm. The other two were the youth-related orders. I got them flip-flopped. The gotcha. Job's Daughters and Rainbow for Girls, which sounds very LGBTQ. <laughs> and I don't know at what point they started allowing black men into the masons but i know that's why there's the black masons obviously because they were excluded yeah that makes sense so the labyrinth at the chartres cathedral it's basically just set into the floor it's not an actual like maze that you go through but there it's like a path um laid into the floor and um, oh. I found an article on it on Atlas Obscura. And it says, thought to be a representation of the spiritual quest of the pilgrim traveling into to the Holy Land. 
labyrinths like this began appearing in Europe in the 12th century, most, mostly in Italy. The labyrinth of the Chartres is a little over 42 feet in diameter and is thought to have once been graced by the image of the Minotaur at its center. Um, common, a motif common in mazes and labyrinths around the world. Um, and so, that is interesting because that kind of correlates to what um, what Wagner thinks that Sarah is trying to do with the Winchester Mystery House. But we'll get into that in the next one. Um, there's just a little bit more on, it might be a little bit of a shorter episode. I just didn't want to get into the meat of it on this because it probably would have been like an hour and a half to two hour episode. Instead, okay. instead, I wanted to break it up into the two parts or three parts, I guess now. Um, so Sarah had, after her um, trip to Europe, she moved to San Jose, which we know, and she moved there to be closer to her relatives who had relocated there during the gold rush. The info that I got about the house is from Richard Allen Wagner's um, article called The Truth About the Winchester House. So from now on, we're talking about the truth about the Winchester House. Um, Wagner believes the legend of the Winchester Mystery House, um, which I talked about in the previous episode, is a highly sensational folktale invented by the owners of the house to attract tourists and make money. Um, on a tour That's into... Not... Go ahead. Not a totally outrageous idea. No, I I am... Uh, I think that I am on the side of this guy. I uh, It makes more sense to me, and I think it's actually more interesting, too. <laughs> Um, right. On a tour that Wagner took in 2005, he was told by a senior tour guide that in the old days, the tour guides were encouraged to make up provocative stories about Mrs. Winchester in the house in order to spice things up. Um, if Sarah believed she was cursed, oh, he, this is some, a theory that he puts, or like evidence that he puts forth, um, you know, people thought that Sarah believed she was cursed by these spirits that had died by the hand of the Winchester rifles. But if that were true, why did she continue to profit from the Winchester repeating arms company for the rest of her life? Like, she kept stock in it. Um, she received, like, a thousand... What was it? Like, a thousand dollars a day or something like that from them. So, um, if she really believed in that curse... I think she maybe would have tried to distance herself from the company. Yeah, she doesn't sound too scared. No. Um, her close friend and nurse, uh, Henriette Sievers, said that Sarah was neither a spiritualist nor did she conduct any seances. And Wagner believes she built the mansion as a treasure trail. Um, metaphorically, no actual treasure, unfortunately, but um, he believes she built it as a treasure trail to lead the adventurer to the inner recesses of her brilliant mind. So, hmm. on the next part, I'm going to talk about all the symbolism uh, that he believes is in the Winchester Mystery House and kind of go into what it meant to Sarah 
Um, and yeah, that'll be more of a fun one. This one I wanted to just sum up the history, like Sarah's backstory a little bit and talk about the Rosicrucians and the Freemasons because we're going to get into a lot of their like tenants and stuff in the next episode. Well, I'm looking forward to it. I think Good. it's interesting. They're kind of culty in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, that's what I thought, too. And I think... I don't know. I just always think of these secret societies and I'm like, old white men who don't... <laughs> like, don't have any sort of, like... You know, I always think of, like, people that are closed-minded or whatever, but it... From their tenants or from their descriptions on the wiki and the websites and stuff, it kind of seems like they have some neat ideas. I'm not going to join a cult or anything, but... Um, Probably. I have... My mind has been opened <laughs> a little bit with this. Um, there's also going to be a lot of talk about Shakespeare, but I decided not to go into Shakespeare's background because, you know... Everybody everybody knows about Shakespeare, right? <laughs> mm, I would say no. <laughs> well, I didn't really I feel like doing it. Um I uh I was not even though I grew up performing, I was not really that big into Shakespeare. Still am not. Sorry, people. And including my former roommate and good friend Emily, who's been on the podcast, she works for a Shakespeare company, and she is seems to be very much into Shakespeare. So I apologize for not being that big into Shakespeare to my theater friends. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I should be, but I just mm. I like going to see Shakespeare in the park for sure. But other than that, I'm not going to read any, you know. I don't know. I did it in college and like I got bad grades in my Shakespeare class. <laughs> I didn't really Oopsie. apply myself. That's fascinating, I mean, I'm sure, to everybody. I mean, I didn't take a Shakespeare class at all, so it's more than I did. Well, maybe uh maybe we'll learn some more about Shakespeare next episode. I didn't know that there was even a dude that may have wrote it. Like I was sort of heard that theory that um monkeys might have wrote it or something or no that what is it it's like if you have an infinite amount of monkeys with infinite typewriters that eventually one of them will produce shakespeare or something like that i don't know <laughs> that's hilarious i like the imagery <laughs> i do too i like the idea of like an an open office full of monkeys at typewriters yeah i think that's that's amusing. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think I have heard some, like, controversy around who Shakespeare really is. And I just, I think it's interesting that um, it could be Sir Francis Bacon. Oh, I was going to say, in the meeting minutes, there's a picture of Sir Francis Bacon and a picture of William Shakespeare. They do look a little alike, but it could just be that they're paintings <laughs> from a certain era and that was the style of painting but i don't know yeah I, that's true too i mean they could well, be yeah, related we don't really sure. have we don't have any 
Polaroids for comparison, really. There's so also much. a picture of Richard Allen Wagner, and he does not really look like Shakespeare, so we're safe on that one. Um, no, I did look at the the meeting minutes while you were talking, and I agree. I do not think he looks like him. He kind I don't. I, he kind of looks smug, and like when I saw that picture, I was like, hmm, I don't know if I like this guy. But reading more, I think his theories are interesting. So I'm going to continue to keep an open mind about it. Yes, the um. So there's Shakespeare and Sir Francis Bacon. Well, Shakespeare, Sir Francis Bacon has a more square head and Shakespeare's very oval, at least in these depictions. But maybe it's just artist perspective. Who knows? I think their noses look similar and their eyes maybe a little bit. Yeah, and and Sir Francis Bacon is wearing a hat, so you can't tell if his hair, if he has that intense forehead hairline like William Shakespeare does. Right. Exactly. <laughs> well, that's true. That's true. Mm-hmm. This is the mystery continues. I you guess never we'll see Sir Francis Bacon without the hat. <laughs> exactly. I wonder if he wore those high heel dude shoes. Oh yeah, probably. He does have the rough collar, which I like. Those are yeah, fun. the they look like folded up coffee filters to me. Yeah, like a bad, um, you know, arts and crafts project for school. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I tried to make one of those for an X for Halloween, and the math. behind doing it is uh really intense and i did not succeed but i've seen one made at the place that i work so it's very impressive to me because i tried really hard to make one and couldn't i didn't i didn't also i also didn't really look up how to do it (laughs) just you know flying by the seat of my pants which is what i how i normally tackle uh projects so you know it's got to be something like a circle skirt on steroids where you fold the fabric into a square and draw the circle. Yeah. But it would have to be figuring out the... I think um, it's... I kind of think it's one long rectangle. Yeah, for sure. Just fold it a bunch and then and then round it around your neck. I don't know. I don't... How do you get it? Is it buttoned? Like at the back, yeah. I, I mean, there's no Velcro. I mean, I, yeah. I guess I guess it would be buttoned back then. I think the one I saw was Velcro because it's theater and nobody knows. But I don't think I would want to wear it. That's what I know. Anything <laughs> it would totally that looks push like... like my double chin up to my regular chin. You know, <laughs> <laughs> it looks very scratchy because it looks like it's made out of linen and lace probably yeah. it looks super duper scratchy i do not think that that is um a costume i would enjoy right. by any means at all i think that mostly about anything victorian and older mm-hmm. well really 1950s and older like anything where there's a girdle involved pass <laughs> yeah so it 
We need to at least have gotten to the part where there's stretchy knit available. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've come a long way with fabric. I was talking to Al this weekend. I was like, man, it's really hard to, um, like, if you don't want to participate in uh, commerce that involves, you know, cheaply made clothing from third world countries and you don't want to be part of that that stream like Mm -hmm. what the hell are you gonna do weave your own fabric like just the sewing would be painful enough but then to have to weave your own fabric yeah and can all your own food i don't know who has time for that right i don't know how people ever had time for that well, I think, like, you know, back in the olden days, that was all people did. They didn't, you know, they were fending for themselves and not really having jobs or whatever and that kind of thing. Um, they had more time for stuff like that. I think I always try to buy stuff from thrift stores. I think it's more ethical than shopping at target or walmart you know but it's really hard oh for sure it's better to um get something that's already in the market yeah than to interest introduce something new same thing like if you were gonna buy a diamond it would be better you know to buy something vintage yeah and then have it reset versus buying a new one there are, I, I did listen to a podcast about um, a company in New York, I think, um, that's connected to like the garment district where they make lots of costumes and things, um, or they sell fabric to make all the costumes and things. Um, mm-hmm. There's a company that was working with these retailers to recycle their fabric. Um, and they, they would like sell, it was kind of like a thrift store fabric where they would sell bigger pieces to consumers, but then like the smaller scraps and things. Oh, it was like they were working with a costume shop, I think. Um, or maybe a fashion manufacturer, but anyway, the scraps and things they would recycle somehow. Um, and they said that there is no way that you can, um, recycle spandex, and spandex is in like literally everything so oh yeah it's in yeah it's sometimes in small amounts right like if you have jeans that have stretch it's like three percent or something it's a pretty minuscule amount right but it's in bras and underwear and it's in everything yoga pants my favorite pants i know how am i ever gonna go back to an office (laughs) yeah i ended up um shopping on thread up for um more yoga pants so now i have like a week's worth of yoga pants that i can wear so i can just (laughs) go all week and well i told you my husband asked me why i had so many yoga pants and i was like you would never ask me this question if you had yoga pants (laughs) Yeah. Like, no one who has worn yoga pants would ever, A, say yoga pants aren't pants, because that's just patently ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Yeah, I hate when people get judgmental about women wearing yoga pants around. Like, shut up. I do what I I want. What am I going... What am I going to meet the queen for tea? What do you care? (laughs) You know what? Yeah, and my ass looks great in these, so get over yourself. (laughs) Well, right. My my husband was like, I feel like everybody's butt looks good in yoga pants. I was like, agreed, which is why I don't understand people like even if you have a little tiny booty it looks good in yoga pants mm-hmm. like if you have a little flat booty it looks better in yoga pants than it does in jeans if you put on jeans it's just gonna sag around your body you know yeah i don't know i don't know why people hate on the yoga pants they're like i have a friend whose hatred for yoga pants is so extreme that i troll her on her facebook just for my own amusement <laughs> like man these yoga pants are comfy yeah and she's like you're you know of course i'm the devil i'm like well if you got yoga pants you would change your mind mm-hmm. she's like not on your life i'm a fashion designer i'm like well, smart okay, fashion designers okay. would wear comfy pants to work in mm-hmm. well she's very I mean, we're at an hour, so maybe it won't be uh, that short of an episode. But there was a lot of tangenting happening just now, so. Sorry, not sorry. It's all good. It is what it is. Yeah. Do you know what you're going to talk about next week? I was just going to say, who knows what I'll talk about next (laughs) week. I haven't decided yet. Only Um, the Supreme Being knows. Exactly. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I've got, I have thoughts, um, topics, you know, I always have a running topic list. So sometimes it's just, you know, where the spirit moves me. Yeah, same. I do think I want to do something that, you know, like I said, the last couple of episodes I've done have been on the heavier side of things. So maybe something, I don't know if I would say whimsical, that's (laughs) not really my style, but something maybe a little less intense something that doesn't need a trigger warning i don't know if i can commit to that right maybe, maybe. that uh that one that brie suggested the uh i'm drawing a blank at the moment. highland illinois unsolved murder case oh yeah yeah we'll see we'll see what happens all right There's, i'm really digging on cold cases right now i've been watching a lot of cold case shows Mm -hmm. so that's definitely a possibility i think they're very interesting and i'm also interested in um you know what some better ways might be for working on cold cases yeah like there's so many that are not solved still that are still sitting open um and i think what are we what could we do better so that that's not the case so that more of these cases get closed like what other areas of business can we draw from Mm -hmm. what other sorts of like ideologies could we draw from in in the world you know just generally that would because the process of how to go about solving a case 
the science has changed with the DNA, DNA availability and that sort of thing. But the detective process is about the same as it's always been in terms of, you know, tracking down leads and that sort of thing. Hmm. So I don't know. That's been on my mind. Cool. Well, yeah, we'll see. I'm sure there'll be a huge breakthrough and I'm going to figure out how to, I'm going to, you know, come up with the, the next new invention for how to solve cold cases. Just you wait. I think so. That's likely. So thanks Braden Henzi for our intro and outro music. You can find his stuff on YouTube. Just search for Braden Henzi, H-E-N-Z-E. Uh, if you have any personal stories that are creepy or not, I mean, just tell us whatever you want. Um, you can, um, tweet us at creepy club pod, or you can email us at creepy club podcast at gmail.com. We'll also take topic suggestions and just like a general, Hey, what's up? Um, also like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash creepy club podcast. You can slide into our DMs on Instagram at Creepy Club Podcast. You can follow me at Rispoomba, R-I-S-B-O-O-M-B-A-H. You can follow Heidi at Creepy Club Heidi. You can also follow my cat and my parrot at Penny and Paco. Um, I posted a couple videos today that are really cute, so check those out. Um, I can't wait to make Paco my best friend. <laughs> good luck is all i'm gonna say because he does not like new people or new things <laughs> well he hasn't met me yet so mm-hmm. that's true um if you want to join the rosicrucian order or look at a picture of sir francis bacon and shakespeare to compare notes you can go to creepyclubpodcast.com look for the meeting minutes for this episode you can also rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes if you so choose. Sorry about the noise. Paco's getting excited. It's around dinner time, so... Um, I was gonna say, it sounds like he's in prison and he's, like, dragging his <laughs> chains around. I mean, he kind of is in prison. I mean, he's in a cage. And he's got... He literally has chains, like, with, like, big bells on the end of them that he plays with. It's really cute in the morning, like, I'll go in and open the shade for him, and he'll get up on his perch and and get his bell and ring the bell, like, looking out the window, like he's, like, waking up the neighborhood or something. Aww! <laughs> yeah. It's Paco, adorable. that's so cute! Yeah. So anyway, you can uh, <laughs> review us on iTunes, and hopefully... Hopefully the parrot noise doesn't bother you that much and our tangents and all that. It's it's okay if they do. You don't have to listen, but we thank you for listening this far. I was going to say there, I have a solution. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But we're glad you're here. Yeah. And if you do like us, tell your friends and yes. Yeah. And thank you so much for listening. And we hope that you join us next time. Meeting adjourned. See ya. See ya.